Hi, and thanks for joining in on the Pastor's Class Podcast. Whether you missed a week of class or just want to re-listen to a message, this is the resource for you. Be sure to visit our website at pastorsclass.org for any other information you might need. We hope this message blesses you. And again, thank you for listening. So tonight we're in Acts 10. Um, and as I was preparing for this and really trying to th- think about the impact that this really a short, it's 48 verses, it doesn't sound short, but just a small text and a, and a big Bible has, it reminded me of um, when I was a kid at Christmas, I would judge the quality of the gifts under the tree by the size. If they were big gifts, I would get excited. But if I saw something small and had my name on it, it wasn't good. But then I realized the older you get, it's really not that bad. But I remember, I remember my grandmother telling me that often big things come in small packages. And that's what Acts 10 is. As it relates to the whole Bible, it's one small chapter. But it's a big, important text. It's very critical to us um, to get because... Um, if it were not for Acts 10, if it wasn't for Peter taking the gospel to the Gentiles, maybe we're not here, right? Because at this point, the gospel had gone to the, to the Jews. Um, and so as I looked at 48 verses, trying to figure out how to tackle that, um, I went through different ideas, but we're going to read through all of them in different sections, just kind of walk through the story and then a couple application points. So it's just a reminder that you know, God's plan always prevails, right? He's never late, always on time. This was probably 10 years after Pentecost, which we studied earlier in Acts. So it seems like a long time, but the gospel eventually goes to the Gentiles. And it was actually, as we talk about God's plan, Genesis 12, 1 through 3, we see it kind of set up. It says, now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So there God tells Abraham, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So up until now, it's, it's been kind of the Jews versus the Gentiles. The Jews hated the Gentiles. I found a couple of examples of the level of hatred that I'd never heard before, but really kind of really blew me away. And it took me a step back and I dug into it a little bit more. And, and it's, it's really kind of uh, very... Uh, it's just hateful about Jewish men would wake up and pray every day and thank, and thank God they were not Gentiles. It's like, you know, imagine waking up and thanking God you're not somebody else. And the other one, this is the one that got me. It says, if a Jew married a Gentile, then the Jewish family would have a funeral as a symbol of the death of that family member marrying a Gentile. That's how much they hated the Gentiles. So think about that as we talk about Peter, a Jew, taking the gospel to the Gentiles. So we're going to pick up and read verses 1 through 8. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion of what was known as the Italian cohort, a devout man who feared God with all his household, gave alms generously to the people, and prayed continually to God. About the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God come in and say to him, Cornelius, 
And he stared at him in terror and said, What is it, Lord? And he said to him, Your prayers and your alms have ascended as a memorial before God. And now send men to Joppa and bring one Simon, who is called Peter. He is lodging with one Simon, a tanner, whose house is by the sea. When the angel who spoke to him departed, he called two of his servants and a devout soldier from among those who attended him. And having related everything to them, he sent them to Joppa. So we see Cornelius as another um, big things come in small packages type story because we haven't heard about Cornelius before. And as you read through after Acts 10, you're not going to see his name much at all. So it's another critical guy in the Bible, but a very, um, just a very brief appearance. He was a Roman officer. It says that the text says he was a devout man. He feared God. He was generous. He was a praying man. And, and as he was praying, an angel appeared to him and told him to get three people or, or get, get some guys and send them to Peter. So uh, let's pick up in verse 9. The next day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the housetop about the sixth hour to pray. And he became hungry and wanted something to eat. But while they were preparing it, he fell into a trance and saw the heavens Open and something like a great sheet descending, being let down by its four corners upon the earth. In it were all kinds of animals and reptiles and birds of the air. And there came a voice to him, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, By no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. And the voice came to him again and said, What God has made clean, do not call common. This happened three times. And the thing was taken up at once to heaven. Now, while Peter was inwardly perplexed as to what the vision that he had seen might mean, behold, the men who were sent by Cornelius, having made inquiry for Simon's house, stood at the gate and called out to ask whether Simon, who was called Peter, was lodging there. And while Peter was pondering the vision, the spirit said to him, Behold, three men are looking for you. Rise and go down and accompany them without hesitation. For I have sent them. And Peter went down to the men and said, I am the one you were looking for. What is the reason for your coming? And they said, Cornelius, a centurion, an upright and God-fearing man, who was well spake, spoken of by the whole Jewish nation, was directed by a holy angel to send for you and to come to his house and to hear what you have to say. So invited them in as his guest. So Peter, while Cornelius has obeyed and sent these men, Peter's praying. He's hungry. It says he was in a trance. He was kind of in a half-conscious state. He has a vision. And to me, it was a rather strange vision, but we see what it means here later on. But he says he sees these animals and reptiles and birds, and, and, and this vision says, go kill and eat them. And being a Jew, he can't do that. That's, that's against my law. And then God speaks very clearly. You don't call that unclean what I have made clean. And it happened three times. And then it, you know, I started thinking about Peter. We've talked about Peter in here before. It seems like Peter is always in these types of situations, in the boat when Jesus walks on the water, you know, and he starts following Jesus on the water, takes his eyes off and sinks. He denied Jesus three times. So he's put in a lot of positions to where he has to choose to obey God or not. And this is another one um, where God tells him to clearly do something, but um, he's very confused and trying to figure out what it means. But while he's trying to figure it out and very confused and flustered, the Holy Spirit speaks to him and says, hey, there's some people out to see you. And he has no idea they're coming. He has no idea what this means. And so Peter just says, hey, I'm the one. 
that you're here for. And then they tell them why they're there. And then it's interesting that the first thing Peter did was he invited them into his house to be a guest. And they stayed overnight. So Peter the Jew has already invited three Gentiles into his house. He has violated every Jewish law already. He doesn't even know why they're there really and and what's about to come. So God is preparing Cornelius for something, and God is preparing Peter to go share probably one of the greatest sermons ever. So continuing on in the second part of 23, it says, The next day he rose and went away with them, and some of the brothers from Joppa accompanied him. And on the following day, they entered Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and close friends. When Peter entered, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshipped him. Peter lifted him up, saying, Stand up, I too am a man. And as he talked with him, he went in and found many persons gathered. And he said to them, You yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or to visit anyone of another nation. But God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without objection. And I asked then why you sent me. And then Cornelius said four days ago, about this hour, I was praying in my house at the ninth hour. And behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing and said, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard and your alms have been remembered before God. Send therefore to Joppa and ask for Simon, who is called Peter. He is lodging in the house of Simon, a tanner by the sea. So I sent for you at once, and you have been kind enough to come. Now therefore, we are all here in the presence of God to hear all that you have been commanded. So again, Peter opens it up with, um, I'm not supposed to be with you guys. I'm not supposed to be here. But God told me to come. So two words stuck out, or two phrases. It said earlier that Peter did it without hesitation and without objection. So he didn't think about it. He didn't say, well, let me pray about it for a couple days before I say yes. You know, God told him to do something. The Holy Spirit speaks to him without hesitation, without objection. So I started thinking about my own life. Do I obey God without objection? Mm, Probably not a lot. What about without hesitation? You know, a lot of us are good at putting it off, putting it off, putting it off. So, I mean, that really um, struck me. I wrestled with that all week about without objection, without hesitation. What, the, what does that look like for me? And I ask you to, the same question. You know, think about your own life. When God is, I mean, I speak to you in a crazy vision with animals or an angel coming before you, but God still speaks today. And when he's asking you to do something or to go somewhere, Do you and I, do we obey in that same manner, without objection, without hesitation? Think about that. And then so uh, Cornelius just starts explaining what happened. Hey, man, I was just praying. This angel appeared, told me to send people to get you. Um, And verse 33, he says, um, so I sent for you at once. So again, Cornelius, it doesn't say without objection, but he did it at once. He He didn't think about it. But he says in the, in the last part of 33, Now, therefore, we are all here in the presence of God to hear all that you have commanded by the Lord. And then I, again, I, I paused there and started thinking about my own attitude. Am I always ready and willing to listen and hear what God has to say? You know, Cornelius gathers his close friends and his family, says, Hey, we're here. And we, we, we're excited. We cannot wait to hear what God has to say to us. 
do I approach every morning in my time with the Lord? Am I, do I go, okay, God, I'm here, I'm ready to listen, or do I wake up and go, okay, let me, this is day six of this Bible reading plan, let me check it off, check it off, and I'm done, and go about my day? Or do I approach God's Word with ready and willingness to listen? You know, I thought about even coming to church. Do I come to church for me? Um, do I look at, do I like the music or not? Is the message good? Who's preaching? Or do I approach it as I'm coming ready and will, willing to hear from God? I ask you those same questions and to think about tonight and this week as you spend time with God. Are we ready and willing to listen and to hear? Verse 34 and 35. So Peter opened his mouth and said, Truly, I understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. This is very important then, again, with the Jews and the Gentiles, the hatred. So Peter's saying, Look, I'm here as a Jew. God shows no partiality, no favoritism. There's not one group of people better than another. But I thought about it's very important for us to remember, too, because God doesn't see the color of skin. He sees the heart. He doesn't see economic status. He sees the heart. He doesn't see your nationality or ethnic group. All he cares about is the heart. And that's, that's what Peter's saying to the Gentiles. God loves everybody. And, I, you know, when I thought about it, it's easy for me to go, yes, I agree with that. Yeah, I believe that. But then I wrote down... A note to myself earlier this week, it just says, but do I truly believe it in the way I live? Do I truly believe that God shows no partiality to anybody in the way I live my life, the way I love people, the way I treat other people? I hope so, but I mean, there's times that I know I don't, but it's easy for us to go, yeah, we know God, God loves everybody, but do we live it? And then verse 36 to 43, um, Peter just lays out the gospel as he has done other times. It says, as for the word that he sent to Israel, preaching good news of peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. You yourselves know what happened throughout Judea, beginning from Galilee, and after the baptism that John proclaimed, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. We were witnesses of all that he did, both in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They put him to death by hanging him on a tree, but God raised him on the third day and made him to appear. Now, not to all the people, but to us who have been chosen by God as witnesses, who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one anointed by God to judge, to be judge of the living and the dead. To him all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins. This is the same message that Peter has preached before. Jesus lived, Jesus died, he rose again. It's very Simple gospel presentation. Um, you know, in 41 and 42, he's reminding them that, look, not everybody witnessed the resurrection, but those of us, me, Peter, that was chosen to see it, I was commanded to go testify to it. That's why I'm here. That's why I'm telling you the gospel, because Jesus himself told me to go do it. And he closes his sermon in, in 43 with saying, everyone who believes 
and Jesus is saved and receives forgiveness of sins. You know, I wrote myself a little note that um, we looked at sermons Peter's preached before and earlier in Acts, and it's the same message. He didn't have a gospel message or a sermon for one group of people, the Jews, and then a separate one for the Gentiles because he wasn't supposed to like them. He preached the same gospel. And the gospel doesn't change. It doesn't matter whether we like the people or not, whether they look like us or not. The gospel message is the same. Jesus lived. Jesus died. Jesus rose again. Everyone who believes is saved. Verse 44. While Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. And the believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. For they were hearing them speaking in tongues and extolling God. Then Peter declared, Can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. And they asked him to remain in those days. So as Peter is still preaching... People are accepting Christ, and the Holy Spirit falls on them. And what I thought was interesting about that is just a reminder that these people had a private, an individual encounter with Jesus, and that's what it is for all of us. Hopefully, we've all had that individual encounter with Jesus. The moment of salvation is personal. It is. It's individual. I'm not saying that public invitations aren't important, a lot of times that's to publicly profess Christ or for assurance, but it's not about the raising of the hand or walking down an aisle. It's an individual encounter with Jesus, and that's what we saw here. And the other interesting thing I thought was um, Peter just allowed the Holy Spirit to work. He's still talking. He says, while Peter is talking, the Holy Spirit falls on them. So Peter was kind of going with the flow. Do I do that every day? Do I allow the Holy Spirit to work and to direct my my steps or my conversations, or do I script it out to where I kind of block out the Holy Spirit? Because what if Peter would have scripted it all out and said, wait, I'm not done with my sermon. I'm not done with my message, right? But he's just allowing the Holy Spirit to work. And I wonder, do we do that in our daily lives? Do we allow the Holy Spirit to work? And to let the Holy Spirit have its way, have God have its way every day. In the church, do we allow the Holy Spirit to guide the worship, to guide the message? Or is it too scripted? And another interesting thing, it says, even the believers among the circumcised, the Jews that came with Peter were amazed. So even the Jews were amazed at this. So as Peter sees these Gentiles having encounters with Jesus, he, he has these Jews, and I don't think it's by accident that he brings these six or eight Jews with him so they can witness it and they can go back and tell others what they saw, that this was real. You know, this isn't, you know, it's, it's all one. We're one, one body. You know, and then one more passage to kind of close the loop that shows that Everything points to Jesus. Everything goes together. I was reading um, Isaiah 61 through 3, and it kind of sheds 
points to this instance as well in a way. It says, Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. For behold, darkness shall cover the earth, and thick darkness the peoples, but the Lord will rise upon you, and the glory will be seen upon you. And all and nations shall come to your light. Nations and kings to the brightness of your rising. It doesn't say the Jews will come to light. It's nations. And that's what Acts 10 is all about. So the, the takeaways, the application, the so what, it's pretty, you know, if you've heard me before, I'm pretty simple-minded. Don't try not to overthink it too much. First thing I wrote down is the gospel is for everybody, even people we don't like. So I started thinking about, you know, everybody has people they don't like. It could be a family member, it could be a coworker, it could be a neighbor. We all have people we don't like, right? But the gospel's for them too. You know, so... When I'm around the people I don't like, do I treat them the same as I do people I do like? Unfortunately, probably the answer is yes. But that's not what this passage teaches us. Because Peter, I mean, by the Jewish law, had every right not to do this. You know, because he was, the Jewish law said he's supposed to hate those people. So he took the gospel message to people he hated. And hate's a strong word. So we all have people in our lives we don't, we don't like for whatever reason. It could be simple reasons or it could be a lot of different reasons. But think about it. The gospel is for them too. The second thing is we need to live with a gospel focus. And I started thinking about if I wake up every day, my feet hit the floor and my mind is on the gospel, how much better the day would be, how much greater impact we could have if we wake up every day with that focus, and that we live each day with a focus on eternity. And I was listening to a couple messages this week and researching just the whole urgency of thinking about eternity every day. And I just really thought about very came across a simple application point on thinking about eternity. It says, how we view the end affects how we live today. So how we view eternity affects how I live today. So if I'm not thinking about my eternity then it's going to affect how I treat people every day, whether I have that gospel focus, whether I'm thinking about others, because my eternity matters and everybody's eternity matters. So how we think about that impacts how we live every moment of every day. I know when I came across that on Thursday or Friday, it kind of took me a step back and um, just to process that about, you know, how that could radically change how we live our day. And if we all lived each day like that, it could change our neighborhoods, our communities, just with this, a shift of a gospel focus and not me focus every day, what I need to accomplish today. And also thought about two mistakes we can make when we leave after hearing this. We all have people in our lives that live very destructive lives, living a lot of sin, and I know I've had people in my life like that, and it's very easy to go, you know what, that person is so far gone. I've, I've said it. I've had other people tell me this. That person is so far gone, God won't save them or can't save them. Wrong. What we see in this passage is the gospel's for everybody. Everybody who calls in the name of the Lord is saved, not just the folks that have it somewhat together. The other mistake is, like Cornelius was um, a religious man, a good man. But he, up until this point, had not encountered a relationship with Jesus. And we know people that are good people. 
Quite a few churches are filled with religious people, but not a lot of, but not everybody's a follower of Christ. So it's very dangerous when we see people that they may give, they have good morals, they um, have high integrity. So we don't need to share the gospel with them. Wrong. It doesn't. Nobody is too bad or too good for us to share the gospel. And those are two things I know I wrestled with because I've had thoughts about both of those in my life. So um, I just wrote those down as two mistakes that we could easily make. I'm going to close it out with a story um, John Wesley. If you've been around the church, you've heard of John Wesley, the famous Wesleyan revival um, in the 1700s. He was a man somewhat like Cornelius. He was a good man, religious man, a church member, even a minister. And then if you go, you can Google, just type in John Wesley, May 24th, 1738. He writes this long journal entry of what happened when he heard someone reading Martin Luther's commentary on Romans. At this point, he's already a minister, right? A very religious man. I'm just going to read just a couple lines from it. About a quarter before nine, while he was describing the change which God works in the heart through faith in Christ... I felt my heart strangely warmed. I felt I did trust Christ, Christ alone for salvation. And an assurance was given me that he had taken away my sins, even mine, and saved me from the law of sin and death. So the result of a religious man encountering Jesus, again, a guy, a minister, you know, he's preaching, had an encounter with Jesus, and thousands were saved because... God got a hold of somebody's heart. So, um, again, it doesn't matter if someone is a religious person. That doesn't matter. So are they a follower of Christ? Are we followers of Christ? So the whole point is this whole thing. I think we can take away is everybody needs Jesus. Even the people we don't like, right? All right, so I just challenge us, myself, everybody, think about this week when you, when you get up every day and, number one, spend time in God's Word ready and willing to listen, not trying to just check off my quiet time, but then just think about, just have a gospel focus. Just think about everything I do today, whether it's work or sports or just hanging out at home. Is it loving people? Is it honoring God? Is it pointing people to Jesus? Is everything I say and do point people to Jesus? Amen? Amen. All right, let's pray. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for uh, that you still speak to us through your word. And I pray, God, that we would be a people that um, are eager to hear from you. We're ready and willing to listen. God, that when you speak to us, that we would obey without objection, without hesitation, that we would be known as a people of obedience. And God, I pray that most of all, we would be a people that loves everybody as you um, teach us to love everybody. You show no partiality, no favoritism. And God, may we too live that way um, beginning tonight. Thank you for loving us. And God, I just pray for everybody in this room that as we leave here tonight, that we would leave here with a renewed focus and desire to share you with somebody this week, even somebody we don't like.
God, I'll just pray in your name. Amen.